0: Welcome to Nothing New Under the Sun. It's a podcast about those fantastic and flawed movie remakes, those franchises that Hollywood just won't let die. On today's episode we're going to be talking about Mad Max. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts Dave and this here is my co-host Mike. Uh, what's up with you today in coronavirus land?
1: I'm, I'm here Dave. I'm, I'm chuffed to be here today in, uh, in the coronavirus land watching all these These uh, good old Aussie movies. (laughs) Uh,
0: I actually don't think I knew that uh, Mad Max was so Australian.
1: It's the most Australian.
0: (laughs) I know. I couldn't believe it. And uh, Angela watching it with me, um, I said something, you know, Mel Gibson, and she goes, Mel Gibson is Australian? And I was like, yeah, he's like super Australian. I'm like, didn't you see the South Park movie? Where actually, like of Mel
1: him? Gibson was the least Australian of everyone in the movie. <laughs> so, you, you know what's funny
0: is, uh, this is actually the first Mel Gibson movie I've ever seen. Can you believe that? Really? Yeah, I never saw a Patriot or surprising. Had you ever seen Art? these movies before? Never. Uh, and, but uh, you know who is super obsessed with them and loves them a lot, so I know he's going to be listening to this episode, is my dad. And my dad is... Uh, the biggest fan of the only one of the group that I didn't watch, which was Beyond Thunderdome.
1: So, <laughs> you jerk. So, <laughs> when we chose Mad Max, I was all excited. I, unlike last week, I was like, all right, here we go. I've only got two movies to watch. It's fine. I'll watch Mad Max and I'll watch Fury Road. I'll get it out of the way. And then after watching the first Mad Max, I realized that Fury Road really isn't a remake of Mad Max yeah, not at even close. all. It's actually a remake. Of the sequels to Mad Max, so I watched all four Mad Max movies, and you skimped out. Yeah,
0: Mad Max (laughs) One. Mad Max One is almost like a. um, Oh, actually, I should say that I believe I have seen what women want. uh, (laughs) Oh,
1: good. Good. Okay. Uh, His his true
0: magnum opus.
1: Not Um, not any not uh, like the Patriot, and not like uh, Lethal Weapon. (laughs) no how
0: dare you i've only seen the greatest of his movies what women want? of course uh mad max one um to me seemed almost like um like a student film or something like that like it was like um okay okay, so wait so um george miller directed all of them so george miller wrote
1: and directed all of them mad max one basically was a student film um it was uh george miller thought of it while he was working um as a uh I can't uh, was he he was either a doctor or he was like an emergency um medical person and uh he got the idea from watching all the hospital patients uh, who suffered motorbike motorcycle and automobile accidents oh that's crazy um and all most of the injuries that he saw while working as like an emergency room doctor he put into the movie and uh the movie was made with a budget of three hundred fifty thousand dollars which was entirely um, put forward by George Miller from money he made as an emergency room doctor. Damn, that
0: sounds about right. Yeah,
1: so, so this, uh, George Miller, this is, like, this whole franchise is George Miller's, like, baby, like, it's his little, it's his little brainchild, so. Yeah, I
0: didn't know that he directed Fury Road also, I mean, like, I didn't know he directed all of them. In, like, his 70s. Yeah, 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 and so when we started up Fury Road, I was like, oh my god, it's the same guy, holy shit, (laughs) was, was... Okay, so Mad Max 1 came out in 79. Is that Mel Gibson's, like, breakout role? Uh,
1: kind of. It was even once... Um, it, it is and it isn't, because even once Fury Road came out, uh, Mel Gibson really was... Or not Fury Road, sorry, Jesus The Christ. original, yeah. Once Road Warrior came out, uh, Mel Gibson was still kind of an unknown, and he wasn't even put in the trailers for Road Warrior. It was really just all the car explosions and uh, and stunts and stuff that Whoa. they showed off. Cause Mel Gibson wasn't a really uh, known actor at the time, even by that movie. So, um, this was, I would say that Max, uh, Max Rodinsky or whatever his last name is. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, right. Max is, uh, Mel Gibson's breakout role, but I don't know if this movie particular, uh, was what put Mel Gibson on the map.
0: Yeah. So, this movie was, it was filmed entirely in Australia, right? Like, it's not like a Hollywood movie, right? Like, it's... Right,
1: it was, it was filmed around, um uh melbourne and uh it was made on i said before a 350 fifty thousand dollar budget um and it was uh, at the end of it it actually managed to gross 100 million dollars worldwide and it Holy was shit. the uh, guinness book of world records record holder for the um independent film to make the most money damn uh, probably
0: until like blair witch or something like that
1: it was exactly blair witch blair, oh. uh, blair witch outgrossed it in 1999 Taking That's right. Yeah, uh, taking the title from Mad Max.
0: Yeah, you heard it first here, folks. You know, your <laughs> boy, you know, my role on the podcast is I'm supposed to like react to all of Mike's knowledge. And now I got some knowledge about some movies now. I
1: do the research and you just make up guesses.
0: That's right. And when they're correct, they are so correct.
1: <laughs> so, um, George Miller said in an interview that it was his intention to, um, that when the script was written, he didn't mean for it to be set in a dystopian future, but they made that decision later on while during the filming process because uh, they didn't have the money for extras or properly maintained buildings. So they just figured <laughs> if they set it in a dystopian future, they didn't have to explain why it's easier. everything was just dilapidated and there was nobody around.
0: I was thinking like that his vision of a dystopian future was, was convenient right but not for that reason I was just thinking that it's just all the shit that George Miller thought was cool you know it's like <laughs> like, oh yeah okay in the dystopian here's what would do- would totally happen everyone would wear leather jackets and drive muscle cars and have like destruction derbies all over the place
1: no his his vision of the dystopian future at least for this movie was entirely due to convenience right um, George Miller described the experience of making this movie as guerrilla filmmaking uh-huh. and the, uh, the crew would close down roads without filming permits and not use walkie talk to communicate with each other because the frequencies would coincide with police radios, oh my so the police God. might pick up on what they were doing. Um, a lot of the stunt driving that they did in this movie was completely illegal, and they did it as quickly as possible before authorities could find out. And then Miller and Byron Kennedy, who was, I believe, the uh, the producer or the cinematographer of the movie, they would personally sweep down the roads after each uh, stunt was done so, so that they wouldn't get in any trouble.
0: That's pretty badass you know i was trying to i was trying to figure out like right so it makes sense that he was the emergency room doctor or whatever and also it was all this convenience cuz i was trying to think like where does all this stuff like coincide like come together i'm like how did he think of to like wrap all this stuff in together i'm like it must be just all stuff that like he likes right like i'm picturing like the 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 version of the dystopian future that I like is all like dentists who run long distance and play Final Fantasy
1: VII. <laughs> is that is that what your di- your dystopian future is? It's yeah, bad, Max, you know, but it's it's running dentists.
0: Yeah, and they all play Final Fantasy VII. You know, because it just seemed like the 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 this is, qualities. It's very,
1: this is very specific.
0: Yeah, I just thought that all the qualities of George Miller's Fantasy Future. It was just all stuff he liked, it seemed like. But now it... I don't
1: know about that. It just seemed like it was all the stuff that he could pay for. Right, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's right. You know, look, you like what you can afford. The
1: uh, the farmhouse used for May's farmhouse was just an abandoned farmhouse that they found on the side of the road, and they decided to fill with um, furniture um, from the filmmakers' own houses so that it didn't look abandoned. Um, oh and God. the final scene, uh, with the truck driver, um, where Max runs over the uh, toe cutter in the mo- on the motorcycle, mm-hmm. that was, um, George Miller paid a truck driver $50 to run over that bike. Oh, my just, God. The truck driver didn't want the, uh, the bike <laughs> to damage his rig, so they had to install a shield on, fr- on the front of the bike that was painted, or in front of the truck that was painted like the truck. Oh, so my God. For $50, they got that final scene shot.
0: This is like filmmaking um level of like me <laughs> and like our friends running around in high school in like Mr. Arndt's video and film class like getting into trouble like filming in like restricted locations. <laughs> we actually had the cops call on us one time when we were uh we were filming for uh one of our uh our video and film final uh because we were filming in like an abandoned lot that we it was turns out actually was not
1: abandoned. <laughs> That's that's how this entire movie was shot. Um most so the the three main bad guys, uh you got Hugh Keyes-Burn as toe cutter, you got Tim Burns as Johnny the Boy and you got uh, Reg Evans as um, well. I guess he's not a bad guy. He was a, he was the station master. But those three actors were like classically trained, like Shakespearean actors. They were as serious wow. as serious could get. And then all of the other bikers who were in this movie were literally just um, members of biker gangs in the area. They were members of the, of the vigilantes, and um, they were paid by the set to um, ride their own bikes to set each day in costume. With their prop weapons displayed from their homes to wherever set was, and they, each of them was given a um, a card if they got pulled over by the police that said like I am working for a movie. This is all <laughs> this is all for the movie. Um, please don't arrest me. So they had, there's a joke on. Um, there's a joke. I think it makes its way into the movie. The uh, goose gives. Uh, um somebody a get out of jail free card and that was that was a uh, reference to that that the fact that all these bikers who from the local area who uh had to ride to set with weapons drawn um, being pulled over by police and having to explain that no i'm doing this for a film <laughs> please don't arrest me
0: those dudes 100 percent kept those cards they were like you know it's like five <laughs> years later they're like we're still filming you know look i don't make the like, rules
1: mad max is still filming i know it came out last year we're, we're doing the sequel <laughs> now it's crazy um and most of the extras for this film were only paid in beer
0: oh my oh my god <laughs> This is making more and more sense as uh, you know. As you give me the context now retroactively, the movie is making perfect sense. Because when I was watching it, I'm like, "This is a fever dream." What I'm seeing right now.
1: <laughs> I so I've seen all of these movies um, when I was a kid. All these movies used to play on TV all the time. Spike TV, especially, used to do uh, like Mad Max marathons or whatever. But I remembered so little of this. And when we started this movie. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, wait, wait, wait. All I remembered really was uh, was um Road Warrior and was like post apocalyptic dystopia land of right everybody trying to fight for oil. And when this was kind of normal, it was very normal uh society, um, I was very surprised. I know, <laughs> yeah. I was
0: that's what I was thinking. I was like, you know, I was saying to John, um, our our buddy John, that like these movies are like, they need a budget, right? Because the first movie is just like crazy shit happening in a normal town in Australia. (laughs) And the second second movie has this huge, you know, set pieces and these huge budgets. And it's like, oh, okay, I see what they're going for now. But the first movie is like, you know, a bunch of like weirdos, like just riding around like a normal Australian, you know, area.
1: The first Uh, one is kind of... It's like more of like a revenge film than anything else. Yeah, totally. It's, it's the a lot. It's a very slow movie about a cop who has his family killed and then goes out for revenge. It's not really at all what the, <laughs> what the franchise be, becomes later on.
0: Yeah, and that the scene where they run over the wife and the kid is pretty gnarly. I mean, it's pretty like um, distinctly uh, shocking for what's been happening in the oh, movie yeah, so for far. Sure.
1: It happens entirely off camera, but. Um, George Miller uh, notoriously has said numerous times that he prefers the violence in his movies to happen off camera because he feels like he can get more from the audience through implied violence than just straight up blood and gore violence.
0: He's not wrong. I mean, the um, the even we'll get to this, but even the bad guy in Fury Road at the end, when you think you're going to get this crazy, um, like, uh, you know, relief or whatever, like this, you know righteous justified violence to, to beat the bad guy at the end you know even even that at the end you don't really get that much of a payoff it still feels good but you don't see him like you know get decapitated or some crazy thing right uh, one, one of the things i thought was weird um but it makes sense now in retrospect is that none of the bikers are riding harleys right they're all riding dirt bikes uh and it's right. probably because number one there's so much dust in the later movies but number two because they're not in the united states right like they're Is I assume Harley Davidson is an American company,
1: right? And I think they had um, a lot of the bikes were donated to them on by Yamaha once they said they were making a movie. So again, this is it's just whatever they could get for as cheap as possible. If the if the (laughs) the vigilantes who were playing in as extras for the biker gang didn't want to bring their own expensive ass super nice bikes right. in i'm sure that uh george miller found a, a cheap ass yamaha that was saved from destruction in a junkyard just <laughs> just so they had some bike to ride around on
0: yeah that makes perfect sense uh, one of the things i liked in the beginning is when like in the intro scene when they're chasing down the guy who's like the psychotic right and they're showing him and he's like supposed to look like a like a totally like a like a dingy psycho loser and he has it's just like he has like one small earring he has like a very tiny face tattoo and his like nails are painted Mm -hmm. you know i'm thinking like post malone would have been like he would have horrified people in 1979
1: (laughs) so you've mentioned the tattoo i don't know if you picked up on it all of the uh the motorcycle gang members have that same tattoo and that's like their that's their their symbol that's their thing
0: yeah angela caught that actually um uh, i didn't know i saw it, it was on the one guy but angela was like oh look it's on that other person too
1: one of the things you can pick up on is johnny the boy um doesn't have that tattoo at the beginning but then once he murders goose and he sets goose on fire in the in the police vehicle every scene after that he has the tattoo on the side of his neck Ooh, so it's it cool. like he got that tattoo by being initiated in for killing the cop
0: yeah that's pretty interesting. I did I did not pick that up. I, I like you know that, that'll be on like that subreddit that uh, the, the R/ movie details oh, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> people paying way too much attention. Yeah. Uh, I have a fun so there's two fun stories here about how uh, Mel Gibson got this role. Um, it's one of the the better story is that uh, he went into audition with the part but along with his sister um, and his sister was actually auditioning and he was just like tagging along and had been in a bar fight the night before, and his face was all black and blue and swollen, and he was told to come back um, and look like, um, come back and next uh, audition the next week so he could look like one of the freaks in the, like, the biker gang.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And uh, he returned um, in three weeks' time but was all healed up, and once they saw him all healed up, they're like, whoa, and they had him audition for the lead role. The other story I have is that him and Steve Bisley, who is also in the movie, were roommates in uh, Australia's National Institute for Dramatic Art, and they just auditioned together. So, oh, that's pretty, that's I choose sweet. to believe the first story. <laughs> yeah, that's because way better. Way that's way, way better. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so. I think that 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 in itself could be like a documentary like that that's like a pretty good fucking story for. Yeah. <laughs> um I one of the things that I noticed is they had the the dude um whose eyes were bugging out, right? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, and then they showed which him.
1: A, that is one of the, like the key things to this series, if anything. Um, which is, uh, you didn't watch Beyond Thunderdome. I'm gonna, no. I'm gonna put it out there right now. Beyond Thunderdome has no eye bug out scenes, and that was oh. a huge thing for me to. That, uh, one of the many reasons why I felt Beyond Thunderdome was the worst movies <laughs> of the series. In,
0: instant zero out of ten. Yeah. No, no eyes bugged out.
1: That is a. Even in Fury Road, they have one eye bug out close up. And that is a uh, that is a quintessential Mad Max cornerstone. I feel for being in this series.
0: I think it's a a frame splice from this movie. I don't think it's refilmed. No, I, think they, I, yeah. I
1: didn't notice that. that's true, I don't know. Yeah,
0: I'm, I think so. I, I could be wrong though.
1: Did you notice that uh, Toe Cutter Hugh Keysburn, is the same guy who plays a Morton Joe in Mad Max Fury Road?
0: Uh, I did not notice that, but then um, I think I saw like I came upon that information in putting my notes together. Uh, but that sort of, you know, lends the question, like, is Immortan Joe Toe Cutter? Like, I know it's the same actor, right? But are they trying to say that he that Toe Cutter survives and, like, ends up becoming this?
1: I don't think so. I mean, that would be pretty crazy. But there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of actors who go, this is a big thing in Mad Max, that actors return for other movies. Um, Hugh Keysburn, I uh, just mentioned, plays Toe Cutter, and then he plays Immortan Joe um, Bruce Spence, who played uh the Gyro Captain in The Road Warrior. Um, he also played Jebediah in um Beyond Thunderdome. And then uh Max Fairchild, who is in Beyond or in the first Mad Max as um Benno, I think his name was Benno. He right, right. plays a hostage in Mad Max too. He's one of the guys who's tied up on the uh on the truck that in uh, um Road Warrior who gets his face smashed into the back of the car. So <laughs>
0: Nice. That's that's a, that's an upgrade. <laughs> right. Sweet. Sweet second role. <laughs> if you so, don't get uh, brutally murdered in the first movie, you come back for the second movie to have some horrible shit happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so that's that's kind of a tradition of the Mad Max films is having at least one actor return to play a different role in another film.
0: One of the things that I saw that I thought was interesting is that they um, they seem to have like some. Uh, like not like a like a twist ending, but like some shocking event right in the last like five minutes of the movie, right? Like in um Mad Max One, he gives them that like Saw style ultimatum, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and it like continues, which is a lot
1: like uh like Rorschach's ultimatum in Watchmen. Watchmen came out later. I wonder if it was uh I don't know if anybody remembers Watchmen, who's listening, but in in the comic book Watchmen, Rorschach hands a child pedophile a saw and has him handcuffed to a house that he sets on fire and gives him the basically the same ultimatum. Um, I wonder if uh, Alan Moore was, was inspired by this movie for that scene.
0: Dude, as I watched, you know, Mad Max one, and then especially road warrior, it feels like a lot of the stuff that uh, we see in like, um, like adult oriented action and like thriller horror movies for the next like 30 years are just all derivative of the road warrior movie like for sure um like you you will get into it in a minute but man it was just like oh my god this is like the introduction for all of these tropes for video games and movies and things like that um and it's wild how uh like one of the things i was thinking is that in mad max one they definitely have some some cool stunts but like the sort of like trajectory of the stunt work has to increase with every movie right like you have this like amazing and horrifying realization that Every Mad Max movie from here on out, the stunts have to get crazier. Like the <sighs> Mad Max one, it's just like some regular car crashes. And then in the Road Warrior, it's like these humongous set pieces. And then uh, I didn't watch Thunderdome, we said, but Fury Road, it's like the, the stunts are ridiculous. You know, they're, 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 they're otherworldly. I wish you did
1: watch Thunderdome because we could have a whole conversation right now about how Thunderdome really doesn't have all this like car chase stunt action that the other movies do which is one of the things I feel really hinders Thunderdome as a movie it's like Thunderdome they try to take Mad Max and put him like all these movies really are Mad Max other than the first one the first one is purely Mad Max's story right it's like his origin story he was this cop in this dystopian future his family got killed and then he went crazy and now he just wants to kill all these biker gangs who want to do him harm right you have and then like he goes from from
0: regular Max he goes from regular Max to Mad Max.
1: <laughs> Whoa! But every movie from there on out is like kind of Mad Max stumbles into somebody else's story, right? It's you. You have the story of the people at the compound, and they're just trying to live in this crazy post-apocalyptic world where there's no gasoline. And then Mad Max shows up. You have right. in in Thunderdome. It's this tribe of children, kind of like the Lost Boys in Peter Pan, um, who have been fending for themselves for years. For, for seemingly decades, even though none of them, as far as the movie says, have turned into adults in this time. Right. Um, and then Mad Max shows up. Um, and then, obviously, Fury Road is, uh, this is more about Furiosa and the Brides than it is about Max. It's, that's kind of the reoccurring theme to all these movies going forward. Um, but it just... This movie really sets down, uh, I guess what max's motivations are for the rest of them but it really other than that there's just not a lot going on in this movie i thought it was really it was a really great watch but i don't know if i'd i'd be super eager to watch it again after this
0: yeah I, I think of the movies that i watched in the series it was not the strongest you know it was probably the weakest but i think one of the things that would have made it much more interesting to me is if i had had the context about the way that it was filmed beforehand and then i would have been like oh wow i see what's going on here um but in in itself as like a you know uh as an isolated piece of of film i thought it was it was fine you know it wasn't awesome it it definitely wasn't as good as road warrior
1: <laughs> no road warrior is a amazing movie but before we move on from Mad Max I'd like to bring us up to our reoccurring segment for the episode and probably no other episode that I'm going to call guess that Australian slang now Dave (laughs) the child of Mad Max his name in the movie he is only called Sprag Dave for a million points what does Sprag mean
0: um I know I've seen this word somewhere else so I think it means like like baby like tadpole right like it's like a small thing
1: it's, it means child okay uh, sprog there you is go. Australian yeah. slang for child okay cool there you go <laughs> so, <laughs> so that makes we'll, sense we'll we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get back to those <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just Mickey Mouse mate all right so do you have any uh do you have any closing thoughts about mad Max
0: no it was pretty good it, it, was, it wasn't awesome it, it was pretty good
1: was pretty good uh for what especially knowing what it was once i i also didn't i did all my research after watching the movie i try to not contaminate my thoughts of the movie when i'm watching it with the research that is done and knowing that it was basically just like george miller's love child uh of just the time that he spent working as an er doctor and how much he effort and love he put into the movie it really made it more enjoyable in retrospect but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very low-budget ind- independent film.
0: Yeah, that's great. No, it's, it's probably better to do the research afterwards so you don't sort of contaminate the fiction, right? Like you're uh, you're respecting the, the world of the movie rather than trying to, like, make it better or worse by what you know outside of it.
1: Right. And it was short. It was only 93 minutes long. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, so Road Warrior comes out in uh, 1981. It had a budget of $2 million now that and it, um so it uh, george miller got a lot more money to make this movie than yeah like uh, six the or last seven one. times more yeah. yeah it it was uh voted greatest action movie of all time from Ro- by rolling stone magazine in 2015 so damn i mean i
0: i actually was going to say that i think um fury road was my favorite action movie of all time and i could see that i don't right. know if that that list came out before fury road came out I'll, but
1: i'll give my favorite at the end but um okay sure <laughs> it's road R- uh road warrior was a very enjoyable watch agreed um so
0: the um the intro for road warrior when they're going through uh, one of the things i really appreciated about road warrior is that they do that um voiceover intro in the beginning and they do like a way better job of setting up sort of the world of the series you know explaining the the post-apocalyptic scenario uh, it, it seems like maybe this is where they realized that it was gonna be a series and so they're like all right let's do a little bit of groundwork to sort of describe the world that we're operating in uh and it, it, to me it felt a lot better like than watching mad max one where they just sort of jump like in media res to the you know the world they, they they set everything up here which was you know comforting to me as a viewer
1: something i really love about this entire series is that it really seems like george miller with each movie is like mad max is like he had this idea of what he wanted to do and once he kind of produces it he's he's okay with it but he wants he knows what he has to do to make it better and now he's got a bigger budget so now he can kind of make it an even bigger movie and really implement all the things that he wanted to do the first time but just didn't have the budget to do it's like he's he's learning with each Mad Max movie how to perfect and distill down the perfect essence of quote unquote Mad Maxism Yeah, no
0: that's that's totally 100%
1: obvious so when he started uh, when he started working on this on this sequel for the Road Warrior, um, he he really uh, started to do it. Just like I said, he wanted to overcome his frustrations of the first Mad Max because there was such a low budget and it was a tough movie to shoot, and they were just doing it <laughs> illegally, closing off the streets by themselves. And he once he had a big budget, he um, once he had a, the offer for a big budget movie, he wanted to do something else. So um, this is uh, the only movie that. Um, are the only country where this was called Mad Max. Oh, geez, I totally messed this up. North America is the only place where this was actually not called Mad Max 2, um, because Mad Max had not been had a wide release in the U.S. uh, before The Road Warrior came out. So in North Uh, America, this was just called The Road Warrior, whereas in every other country, this was Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, which you'd find it as now, but when it first yeah. came out in theaters this was just the road warrior and that's probably how like you said your dad was a big uh, fan of this franchise that's probably how he knew this movie
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense because like i said in the beginning they're they're sort of setting up the world right so i could see this being like them thinking like oh, okay now we have a budget and it'll be a little bit like a soft reboot of the series like we're like you know it's starting the the mad max universe here
1: right Um, George Miller, when making this movie, he was, um, he was a callback to last episode. He was a big fan of, and he was really, uh, heavily inspired by silent film legends, Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton. And he edited this entire movie with the sound off so that he could just focus on the images of the movie without the dialogue weighing down too much of what's going on, which is another, um, style that he would bring back for making Fury Road.
0: Yeah. They, um... They definitely do a good job starting in this movie and then following it up later in Fury Road of making the world feel very lived in. Like they have this huge set and like this, you know, the fact that Max is just, you know, moving in and out of these cultures is good for us as the viewer because we are too, right? Like we're moving into, he he's as weirded out by like the crazy people in these areas as we are. Right. Um, which is, you know, it, it as the viewer, you can insert yourself a little bit better.
1: So uh, Mel Mel Gibson only had 16 lines of dialogue in this entire film, and two of those 16 lines are, I only came for the gasoline.
0: (laughs) It's like, it's like clerks. I shouldn't even be here today.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And I'd like to bring up, here's our, here's an actual reoccurring segment of the, uh, of the podcast, the uh, dangerous set um, that people had to be on to make this movie. So um, the stunt performers in this film were injured a lot. (laughs) Uh, two stunt performers were injured during the filming of the climactic highway battle at the end Um, a lot of the stunts didn't go according to plan or went wrong and George Miller had to um, examine the injured stunt performers using his uh, emergency room doctor expertise um, one of the stunts, which ends up in the final film, is um, where I can't remember which of the bad guys is on the car, but his car or his motorcycle crashes into another car, and he was supposed to simply dive over that car, but his legs clip, and you can see him just Ugh. flip uncontrollably through the air. It could have. Apparently, he only like broke a leg or something like that, but it looks like if, if he would have landed wrong, he would have he would have been dead. So. Jesus
0: Christ! Oh um, no!
1: The tanker roll stunt that. Ends the chase scene uh, at the end of the film. Um, the stunt driver who was driving the tanker wasn't allowed to eat any food for twelve hours before they shot that. On the likely event that he had to be rushed to the hospital for surgery, they didn't oh want him anything in his system to that mess makes... up the surgery. Uh, the tanker was going sixty-five miles an hour when they rolled it over. Wow,
0: that well, that makes perfect sense because yeah, they they call it NPO, uh, you know, none by mouth, basically uh, uh, before surgery if they have to intubate you. Because they don't want you to uh, to vomit.
1: So this was this was not a the safest movie to work on for any of the stunt actors. Um, the compound explosion that they when they blew up. So this film was uh, unlike most action films. This was actually filmed in sequence. Um, they from like beginning to end, they shot it in order that they were going to film it, that they were going to um, edit it together. And that was mostly be done done because they had to destroy so much of the set and the vehicles that were involved that they uh. couldn't reshoot scenes from or they couldn't shoot something later and then reuse that piece of set so the compounds where most of the movie takes place in they actually blew that up and Holy the crap. explosion was so big that they had to notify notify airlines in advance um in case of any jets passing overhead they had to, like let them know like at this time there will be this giant explosion
0: everyone like in australia it starts to realize that like mad max is just like a public nuisance like the filming of this movie is just like they're like we have like mad max related like you know police pullovers like you know jets being rerouted people being rushed to the hospital it's like they announced that they're filming another mad max and on the one hand like the australian government is like you know pleased that they're going to be bringing in some money for the country but on the other hand it's like killing half of their acting (laughs) like
1: (laughs) just blowing creating giant explosions that has to cause them to reroute all their jet airliners
0: that's right the it was obvious from the beginning um that this was like a much higher quality production right like it you know better quality cameras and and sets and props and things like that um and it's like mad max one the areas felt like they were just there's no modification at all and this movie it's like the entire thing is a gigantic set it's really cool
1: right and there was a lot of uh you just the amount of actors there or like an extras they had at the compound itself and how much thought and work they put into each of those characters um every single person at that compound seemed to have like little quirks that you could pick up on whether it was like the warrior woman or the the little monkey kid or the the guy who the mechanic who had to be hung from this from the sling or whatever like, everybody, like, seemed to have... They put a lot of thought into everybody's backstory, which didn't really happen in the first Mad Max. It was just like, well, you got these five guys, and then everybody else, you know, they're, they're bikers or whatever.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 definitely. They they spent a lot more time fleshing out the kind of world. Uh, and man, this movie, you see so many aspects of it that are repeated later in um, as, like, just styles of the genre like as things that are, we take for granted now right. as just a part of like this post thing. you know he's got like got the the dog in the wasteland like in fallout 3 um and they've got these mohawks and spikes and these leather jackets and everything is very punk
1: yeah that those uh that style of the bikers in like the assless traps and the the leathers and everything that they were wearing that would seem to that would carry on to be like a whole um like thing in film from there on out like every movie that has a post-apocalyptic biker gang or a dystopian biker gang like every move every action movie seemed to have to have that whether it was terminator or whether it was uh i don't know other films (laughs) they all they all like just totally ripped off that style we have to have our own uh leather clad biker uh post-apocalyptic dystopian biker gang just like mad max
0: yeah, they all have, like, they, they got their goggles and stuff. You know, the Humongous has, like, his shredder mask. It's like, it, oh, how about, um like, Borderlands video game, right? Like, they, they have that there, you know? Um, one of the things I was thinking when I was watching it, you know, I was like, you know, these bad guys, they kind of look like the road warriors from the WWF. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> wait. Oh, I got
1: um humongous actually was supposed to so in the very early versions of the script humongous was uh or humungulus or whatever his name was uh he oh. was actually supposed to be goose from the first movie coming back and then that was that was dropped in like later versions of the script but they left his face all burned so that like if people wanted to read still read into that they could
0: that's cool that's a good idea they, they really are dedicated to like bringing people back that's really interesting it must be cool to be an actor in, like, the Mad Max universe because you're like, yeah, I'm probably going to get brought back in 20 years when George Miller is 150 and he's directing Mad Max 7.
1: What do you think of the uh, the monkey child or the feral kid as he's... Yeah, as the he's
0: feral kid, the yeah. And, no, he was great. He was a, a great addition. And that also is like a... Um, like a trope that seems like they develop into movies and video games going forward. Right. You were talking about the lost boys and hook and, you know, and Peter Pan. Um, it reminds me of like horizon zero dawn, um, you know, video game that came out a couple of years ago. Um, it seems like that's like another trope, like this sort of, um, like Simeon style, like, you know, you know, primitive people that live in the desert is like a, uh, you know, like they're in, like he's in like fur, right. Right. Um, and he's got his his little boomerang. You know, it's like uh, you know they do something similar in um, in the video. He's Pro- ruthless. He's a
1: straight up murderer. He just fucking yeah. kills that guy with that boomerang with no yeah. remorse.
0: I know. Yeah, these brutal. <laughs>
1: was, that was brutal. That was the first time. Like, like all the other kills of this was pretty normal to me. Like, someone got raped before that scene, and I was like, "All right, we're just watching an action movie." And then that kid just fucking mercs that guy with that boomerang. And I was yeah. like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man. <laughs>
0: there's a um. There's a re- a really similar character in the video game Chrono Trigger, which came out uh, in the early '90s. It's like every teenager in the world saw the Road Warrior. And then they ended up becoming like video game designers, or or movie directors, or TV show you know directors, or whatever. And they were all like in the back of their mind, they have some Road Warrior shit that they want to get onto into their project, you know.
1: Right. Um, so there's so this was a fan theory. This isn't this is not official at all. But there was a fan theory out there that um, Tom Hardy's character of Mad Max in Fury Road was actually the grown-up feral kid after oh. he told this story in Road Warrior. How do you you feel about that fan theory?
0: So, yeah. So, I um, heard another sort of fan theory similar to that, um, that all of the Mad Max movies going forward are just, like, myths about this Mad Max character that are being told by the Feral Kid.
1: I would... Oh, by the Feral Kid. I don't know if all of them are stories being told by him, but that's what I would... I would say that all the Mad Max movies from Road Warrior on are just stories being told by somebody. Um, They're just it's Mad Max is more a like a uh, a character of like a folklore who comes in to and and helps them during some time of need. And then that story is passed down through generations. He's not really the star of any of these movies. Right. Um, And and it's it's
0: it's like a parable because he comes in in the beginning and then the, the plot happens and then he leaves alone at the end. Right. So he can be moved on to the next story and all of the stories have the same actors. Right. They have this like similar characters and they have similar themes like in Fury Road. um, Zoe Kravitz has the little um, music box. Right. That he gives the feral kid in The Road Warrior. Right. So it's like um, it's like someone in the context of the the universe of the, the, the the fiction. Right. Someone is coming up with these parables about this character Mad Max and kind of using all the same themes over and over again, and that's what we see represented in the movies.
1: Right. All right, so I'm bringing it back to our favorite reoccurring segment for the episode, Guess That Australian Slang. In the movie, uh, Mel Gibson is seen eating Dinky D dog food. What does Dinky D mean in Australian slang, Dave?
0: Dinky D dog food. Uh, I don't know. A Dinky D, Maybe a D is like a dog, so maybe Dinky D is like a puppy?
1: No, 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 no. Come on, come on. Give, give me a second guess here.
0: Dinky D Come on, dog food. Don't be food. a
1: dag. Oh my god! Don't be an ocher, Dave. Jesus Come on, Christ! You can do this.
0: I don't know. I don't know what it is.
1: We all we all know your London as a brick.
0: Oh no! I can't right, help but feel I I'm think demon. I used that one wrong. <laughs> Dinky D. <laughs> he flew cl- Dinky, too close to the sun.
1: Dinky D means uh, genuine or real. So Dinky D dog food would be like genuine dog food or real dog food.
0: You said, "Come on!" Like I was going to guess that. Like, <laughs> like it should have been obvious by the name.
1: Listen, this this uh, reoccurring segment here just has me grinning like a shot fox. What can I say?
0: Oh my god! <laughs> um, one of the things that I thought um, was interesting about the Road Warrior is this sort of like introduction of uh, commodities that are rare in the Mad Max universe, right? Like they're the uh, gasoline and water and stuff like that, um, and probably you know, problematically also women. Uh, as a commodity, uh, that's something that you will see later in Fury Road also, um, and it feels very much like um, like George Miller was inspired by like some classic sci-fi like um, Stranger in a Strange Land or or Dune or something like that. Uh, although I actually don't know if those books came out um, uh, before or after this movie, so I guess I should check that. Nope, uh, Dune came out in 1965. Dune came out in '65, and Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, came out in sixty uh, one. So yeah, it really seems like George Miller kind of like saw the scarcity of water or, or something like as resources in these you know harsh climates in those books, uh, and was playing with it in this universe because that's definitely like the motivation for all of like the the greed and the bad guys and stuff, right?
1: Bloody oath. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I I assume that means like
0: truth like <laughs> preach you speaking. do you
1: have any uh any final thoughts on on road warrior
0: Nah, i liked how um there was like all those like mechanical sort of like rube goldberg machines you know they're like dune buggies like very twisted metal-esque you know something else that definitely inspired by oh
1: it. yeah for sure twisted metal was definitely inspired by this uh
0: i guess we should move on to uh mad max beyond thunderdome a movie i totally a hundred percent watched uh, but first, uh, go ahead and check out the podcast on nothingnew.show. You can find us on Instagram at nothingnew.show. You can just type nothingnew.show into your browser. Uh, that's our website. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us and review us. That would be super appreciated. Uh, it'd help us a lot uh, when new podcasts come out. You know, the reason that they get popular is that they get good reviews on these services. So that would really help. Um, if you would like to make a suggestion for the content that we cover in a future episode, uh, we will totally do it. We are covering Mad Max today based on our friend Dean's suggestion, uh, and that was just one person. You know, you could literally reach out to us, suggest one thing, and we will do it based on one vote right now. Uh, you so, determine pl- our fate. That's right. So, So if you want to... Uh, make a suggestion please leave it as a comment on an instagram post at, uh, nothingnew.show give us a review uh, and if you are so inclined leave a donation on patreon uh, on to beyond thunderdome
1: dave what'd you think about beyond thunderdome
0: oh dude uh, loved it, uh, it definitely a, totally a movie that i watched um <laughs> actually i didn't see so i didn't watch it we said this but my dad really likes this movie Okay. Uh, I I understand my dad. If I know you know his style, he likes B, you know, action and sci-fi and horror movies, like kind of like the campier the better. So I assume that this movie is quite campy type of thing that would be on the Sci-Fi Network at 3 a.m. on a Wednesday.
1: It definitely is. This movie is also where Mad Max goes like mainstream. Um, it's okay. the first and only movie in the series to be uh, rated PG-13 and not R. Okay. Um, it had a $10 million budget. It was the first movie with um, U.S. financing. And uh, Tina Turner plays the, like, main, uh, i call it, I guess she's the bad guy? I don't even know. She's she's basically the bad guy of the, of the movie. Whoa. Um, it, so this movie started out as a, uh, it was, uh, George Miller wasn't originally going to come back to the Mad Max idea. He was actually put, pitching a, like, a post-apocalyptic Lord of the Flies film. Um, where a bunch of children are found by an adult and it rolls on from there. It turns out, it turns out that
0: that adult is Mad Max.
1: (laughs) That's what the studio who was pitching it to was like, But what if that adult was Mad Max and you made it another Mad Max movie and George Miller was like, all right, I guess. (laughs) 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 Whatever, whatever gets you to pay me the money to make a movie. Sure. That's Um, right. So George Miller was um, was all gung ho about this. He was super into it. But then uh, Byron Kennedy, who helped him make uh, the first two movies, was killed in a helicopter crash while scouting locations for this movie. And George oh, Miller damn. checked out. And he really only shot this action scenes for this. Um, where George, o- oh man, George Ogavilly George Ogavilli? Og- Ogavilli. <laughs> was brought in. <laughs> Ah, oh, man. Sorry, George Og- Ogaville if you're listening. Uh, he was brought in <laughs> to shoot the rest of the movie other than the action scenes where George Miller just did the action scenes for this movie. So, so I think the
0: quality suffered as a result of this. It, the That's the reason. The quality
1: suffered because of everything. It's basically <laughs> just Mad Max finds a bunch of kids and then is like, don't be like me. And they're like, but we want to be like you, Mad Max. And then he helps oh, liberate man. them. It's Dude, wrong so... thing
0: to say. Wrong thing to say to a group of kids.
1: <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so bad. Uh, <laughs> Wait, like, do we know the violence is all turned way, way down. Obviously, because it goes from rated R to, to PG thirteen. Like sure. I said before, all the, a lot of the stylistic uh choices that were made in the first two, specifically like the, the close-ups on the eyes, the eye bug-out shots before someone dies, like those were not included in this at all. Um, right. A lot of the shaky cam stuff that was done, probably through necessity because the first two movies were filmed by guys just hanging off the sides of bikes going at 110 miles an hour or whatever. <laughs> None of that was, like, included in this. And it really – it's it, it's really, like – it's it's Hollywood's attempt. This is where, where Mad Max goes Hollywood, and I, I did not appreciate it. It's Hollywood's attempt at making a Mad Max movie, whereas the first yeah, they- two were kind of – like George Miller said, it was guerrilla filmmaking. They were doing whatever they could to get this movie made. And in this one, they just had all the budget they wanted, and somebody else was filming it, and it just – it lost – it lost its heart to me. I'm sure this is going to be a very hot take to a lot of listeners who grew up watching Beyond Thunderdome late night on Spike TV or whatever. And they love this movie dearly. I, I This movie was not good. I did not enjoy it.
0: It went from like um, like punk bands playing in like a, a VFW to like Hot Topic punk bands, right? Right, It's like exactly. a little bit more sanitized, a little bit more mainstream. Everything's gone bit.
1: mainstream and now it's right. lame. I was into yeah. this when it, before it was cool, but now it's cool. <laughs> I don't like it anymore.
0: Do, do you know what the budget was for Thunderdome?
1: So the budget for Thunderdome was ten million dollars this time. Damn. So we've gone up. The we went from thirty five. Was it? It was thirty five thousand, I think. And then the and then Road Warrior was. I said all this earlier. I think it was three hundred
0: thousand, War- then two million, now ten million. Thank right you. So. Yes. <laughs> so man, you can you can tell that uh, you know movie uh, you know budgets. First of all, they definitely don't increase with inflation first of all and second of all they definitely don't increase with quality right like you can you can have a um tom cruise the mummy uh that has a bazillion dollar budget and make a horrific movie
1: (laughs) right so the thunderdome fights that this was uh this was um the movie gets its title from and the movie uh mad max pisses off a bunch of guys and they decide to basically like settle their beef in the Thunderdome and it's kind of like in South Park when they declare shenanigans (laughs) it's just like I declare shenanigans and then shenanigans they all pull out brooms and start hitting each other Uh, this is kind (laughs) of like that where everyone was like we're doing Thunderdome and then they're just shoved into this giant um steel structure and the Thunderdome fight I was all ready for based on the last two movies I was like "All right, we're not this seems like we're moving away from the giant car stunt chase sequences we're moving towards more of a uh lower budget sort of thing let's see what or at least i mean lower budget in the sense that of what the the stunts here would require let's right. see what they like have like putting max like in like a fight with someone and it was just all slapstick comedy it was really bad um there yeah, was isn't no that, it, it's real... it's interesting
0: right because the the budget is way higher but the scope of what they're doing is so much smaller it sounds like well, right
1: what, now that the budget's way higher i guess they fi- and now that it's a movie starring a bunch of children i figured they had they decided they had to get children into the theater. So we can't have Max just chop off someone's head or something like that. So, <laughs> which like this movie, like they really like when they're in the Thunderdome, there's all these bladed weapons. Like the guy like accidentally stabs like somebody who's just sitting, like hanging out on the side of the cage. And you really, there's no blood there. You just hear him scream. But like, I don't know. It was, it was so turned down that I was like, I was almost immediately turned off by just that scene. And that's, that's the scene. That's <laughs> This is beyond right, Thunderdome. Right. Um, one thing I did want to say, uh bringing it back to our love of professional wrestling that we brought up every single episode dusty Rhodes was inspired by this movie to create the war games match after watching this uh the th- the war games match is based on the thunderdome fight that he saw
0: oh that's awesome that's amazing i didn't know that at all yeah so cool
1: all right so do you have any do you have any uh any last thoughts about this movie you didn't watch
0: <laughs> uh loved it 100 percent. the best movie i've ever seen in my life it's... it was a quick it was a quick watch uh There's not something... very mem- right. not very memorable <laughs>
1: Great. Awesome. Uh, There's something I'd I'd like to bring up now. Um, When Fury Road came out, there's a lot of, like, internet nerds who had these very negative opinions about it because they were saying things like, um, it's mostly about Furiosa. The movie's not about Mad Max at all. Mad Max barely speaks. He's not even the protagonist. The movie's all about this chick. Who's this chick? I don't care about this girl. The movie's called Mad Max. I want to watch Mad Max. And to those people who've clearly never seen a Mad Max movie. If right. like they if, if if Fury Road is the movie where they feel this franchise went off the rails and it's not Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. Beyond Thunderdome did everything it could in its power to neuter this franchise and it was just unenjoyable to me. I did not like it.
0: Uh, yeah, one of one the things that I, I saw people criticize about Fury Road is that they, people thought that they revealed too much in the trailers like they were like oh the trailer is just going to be all the coolest parts of the movie and it turns out that like most of the stuff in the trailer happens in like the first five minutes of the movie and then it right. just gets crazier
1: yeah I, i've just written in my notes for beyond thunderdome i have this movie sucks <laughs> <laughs> so that's how i feel about it moving on um between after beyond thunderdome uh, george miller had planned for a while to bring bad max to the small screen as a television show Um, and he was, he wanted to bring, uh, John Blake, who he'd worked with in Cool Change in 1986, but, um, Tragedy Strikes and, uh, John Blaine has permanent brain damage from an auto accident, so the series just gets completely canceled. Um, Wow. From there on out, he wanted to, he got this idea for Fury Road in, uh, 1998 when he was walking in an intersection in in Los Angeles. And he got the idea for the movie being about violent marauders who were fighting not for oil or material goods, but for human beings. And he, um, he wanted to bring back Mel Gibson in the, uh, in the title role, and they were going to start shooting in 2001. Um, but the movie had to be postponed because of the September 11th attacks, and right. uh, the, uh, the American economy uh, crashed. So the American dollar collapsed against the uh, Australian dollar, and their budget just ballooned out, out of control. So they had to push the movie off to uh, 2003. Um, in 2003, George Miller ran into problems again because he wanted to shoot in NIM oh, I'm so bad at pronouncing things. He wanted to shoot in Namibia, which is a okay. uh, a um, African country, um, but there were security concerns because the United States and many other countries had just tightened t- travel restrictions to Namibia. Nam- Namibia. <laughs> <laughs> namibia i think it's just namibia uh, yeah yeah i'm great um with the start of the uh, iraq war so the movie was again pushed off because uh, of those concerns and then also mel gibson started making the passion of the christ and he kind of lost interest and then george miller went on to make happy feet so <laughs> everybody kind of moved on to something else you know, happy you know feet, mel the gibson passion might have the done christ, some same thing
0: Mel Gibson might have, you know, said some crazy stuff, said a bunch of (laughs) anti-Semitic things, uh, said some stuff to his wife uh, and a police officer, you know, all that.
1: Yeah, all that stuff. (laughs) So during the project's hiatus, George Miller kept trying to push forward with this idea that he had for this Mad Max sequel. Um, He tried to make a 3D animated feature um, that would come out at the same time as a video game um, that would be based on the 3D animated movie. Um, and they were both supposed to come out, um, two, two and a half years from each other, um, in 2011 and 2012. Uh, and then, um, Fury Road, the animated movie was going to be made by Dr. D Studios, uh, and, uh, would, would, uh, it was founded in 2008 by Miller and Doug Mitchell. So he founded his own animation studio to make this animated movie that never actually got made. Huh. Um, I wonder if he... Is he still running it? Like, have they done anything? I mean, he did Happy Feet, right? <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't look into it. I he, That might have been the studio. This was after Happy Feet, though, so... Oh, wow. I, okay. He might have just learned how to do animated stuff in Happy Feet and was like, let's just do that. That's easier. Right. Right. <laughs> so he finally came back to Fury Road in 2009, and he decided to recast the role because he wanted Max Ferman at, at a younger age and the same contemporary warrior as he was in the Road Warrior, and also because, you know, Mel Gibson uh, did a bunch of Mel Gibson stuff. No. So they, they didn't they didn't want to bring him back for the uh, for the for the movie. So I can't um,
0: imagine why.
1: <laughs> just, it would have, apparently there was some controversy around Mel Gibson circling around uh, 19- two thousand nine. So um Michael Bean was considered for the role, he would have played an older um Mad Max, whereas Channing Tatum and Heath Ledger were also both considered for the role. Uh hmm. Jeremy I can see Channing was meaning a lot for the role, but apparently was never considered And uh, James Frenchville actually got to audition for the part, but it was given to um, Tom Hardy, as we know.
0: He was great. Tom Hardy was a great Mad Max, um, especially because Mad Max is historically quite understated, right? And that's, you know, kind of how Tom Hardy is in a lot of his roles, right? He's kind of like a a brooding, quiet, hulking man, you know?
1: Right. So um, George Miller, actually, he got... um, He got a team of storyboard, five storyboard artists together, and they made a storyboard for the film of 3,500 panels before script was even written. Wow. So they knew knew the movie was going to be a continuous chase, and they knew they wanted relatively little dialogue, and they wanted the visuals to come first in the film. And paraphrasing Alfred Hitchcock at the 2014 Comic-Con, George Miller said that he wanted the film to be understood in Japan without the use of subtitles. Wow. Yeah, well, so bringing it back to his inspirations of Buster Keaton and uh Harold Lloyd for Road Warrior. He was doubling down even harder on that kind of filmmaking style.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, hell yeah. They they honestly the movie could have been almost totally silent, right? Like the, you know, they the what little dialogue they had was Max saying stuff like water and <laughs> you. <laughs>
1: right.
0: There's a part in uh in Fury Road where um Tom Hardy does this sort of like non-committal thumbs up like just like this little baby thumbs up where he kind of like half smiles. Uh And my wife has been doing that to me all week since we watched it.
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so shooting this movie was a nightmare for everyone involved, as all of all of our movies seem to be. Um, I don't know why anybody makes movies at this point. We've we've, like, we've done this, this podcast for five episodes, and I feel like at every single episode, uh, numerous times, I'm just like, so everyone was miserable the whole time. Right. Um, Tom Hardy and George Miller and Charlize Theron did not get along at all, and it was mostly through frustrations um, on Tom Hardy's part, and well, Charlize Theron's part as well towards george miller where they just didn't know what they were shooting shooting from day to day um george miller had this like this uh, like we said he he storyboarded basically the entire movie out um three hundred three thousand five hundred 3500 storyboards equates to as many shots as there are in the film at the end of the day almost um yeah, right so they just they were unable to just visually see what they actually were shooting um on a day-to-day basis and they were getting really frustrated with the director and um they just, they were, it caused all kinds of complications. Um, once the movie actually came out, Tom Hardy actually apologized uh, to George Miller. He said, there was no way, I. Um, he said, I mean, I have to apologize to you because I got frustrated. There was no way George could have explained the, what he could see in the sand and what we were out, or when we were out there. Because, uh... Of the due diligence that was required to make everything safe and simple, what I saw was a relentless barrage of complexities simplified for this fairly linear story. I knew he was brilliant, but I did not know how brilliant he was until I saw it. So he apologized to George Miller afterward for how annoyed he was while filming it. But apparently Charlize Theron also blew up at George Miller a couple times because she had no idea what they were filming on the day they were filming it. She just Whatever they were told to do just made no sense to them.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, like, I could see that the the only person, you know, who probably has the entire scope of it in mind is George Miller, right? Or maybe like the director of photography or something. Right. I could see that the, the actors in their... Moments on screen probably couldn't see the forest from the trees and I could see being out in a desert, you know, miserable uh, that that would not help to just <laughs> right. say, OK, so, and now you do this. And it's like, why do I do it? They're like, No, just trust me. Just do it. Right.
1: Filming lasted 120 days and the film runs for 113 minutes without credits. So that means that each day of shooting equates to almost a minute of film oh my god (laughs) less than a minute of film oh my god so so you can now it's all kind of coming together where like you could see these these people are shooting like seconds of film but they have to get it just right to fit george miller's storyboard uh idea of what this movie's supposed to be and yeah (laughs) yeah everyone was just getting really frustrated uh the studio went completely over budget um and behind schedule and warner brothers sent out a producer to oversee production after a while. Um, at the end of shooting, George Miller had his wife edit the movie together, uh, Margaret Sixtel, who was a, uh, acclaimed editor at the time, but she'd never edited together an action movie before. Um, when asked why he did this, he said, because if a guy had edited together, it would look like every other action movie. And, uh, his wife went on to receive an Academy Award for best editing after this.
0: That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it it is visually stunning. Um, especially because some of the editing choices they make, right, when they fast forward some of the parts and, um... You know, it, it's really unforgettable how cool it looks. I actually had seen Fury Road um, before, like, when it came out. And then uh, we just re it this week. And I, all I remembered was that it was, like, amazing looking. And this week I was totally blown away when we watched it again. Oh, I want to give it up to the MVP in this movie, um, Nicholas Holt, the guy who plays yes. Nux. You know, you know he's, um, he's Beast in X-Men First mm-hmm. Class, right? Uh, man, he was great. Uh, I remember him being cool you know in when i first watched it but now that i watched it again it's like he really pulls the movie together uh, yeah his he's... whole
1: portrayal because you get to know what the people who work under a morton joe are really feeling and what their what their life is like you know you other without him everybody is just kind of on a morton joe side is just an unsympathetic uh lunatic but he right. really like shows like there there are living people in like this wasteland and there are living people in this um post-apocalyptic who are just trying to make it from day to day like he he is a uh, product of his upbringing you know what i mean like he he's he was born with this terrible cancer and he was basically told you're gonna die a horrible death and you might as well give yourself to me to like live forever in valhalla or whatever bullshit he was fed but yeah he his role or his portrayal like pulls everything in the movie together for me i i felt the same way
0: uh, the other thing that was super memorable is the um, the guitar dude, right? Like on the front of the, the truck with all yes. the amps. Amazing.
1: So that is um, Australian artist and musician Sean Hape. Um, he's better known as Ayata, <laughs> um, And uh, he had an interview in Vice where he said the guitar weighed 132 pounds and shot real gas-powered flames. Um, Jesus. And he controlled the flames using the whammy bar. So if you ever see oh him use the whammy bar in the movie, it's not for what it's typically used for. It's just to right. shoot out the, the fire.
0: That's sweet. <laughs> I need to get me one of those. me topping in an apartment, controls-
1: though. Yeah, playing a 132-pound guitar, I'm sure, is...
0: Uh... <laughs> yeah, that guy was probably jacked at the end of filming, man.
1: <laughs> That's why everything was chained up, I'm sure george miller a lot of the time he wanted to use practical effects over cgi the entire shot where uh, nux flips the war rig at the end was completely done through practical effects awesome Um, he just didn't feel like cgi was uh sufficient to get the feeling of the giant uh gas tanker crashing into the mountains and he wanted the whole thing to have like a certain weight behind it so yeah
0: We've said this before in past podcasts, right? Like um, there's definitely like a sort of like fetishization right now on the internet of practical effects, right? Like, especially on Reddit, you know, you see people like, Oh, look at these cool practical effects that George Lucas did in star Wars. Like why don't movies have like that, you know, have that type of thing anymore these days. And the answer is because, you know they're ridiculously dangerous sometimes right right? flipping the monster truck or whatever it's just like yeah that's great that it's a practical effect and it's totally amazing to look at but man the people who have to do this stuff the stuntmen right the stunt guy in the road warrior
1: couldn't eat before for 24 hours or whatever before he did the stunt because he was likely going to be rushed into surgery um yeah it's much easier just to get cgi and have a fake truck flip over and have nobody have to have to possibly be harmed Yeah. But then it doesn't look good, Dave.
0: That's right. And that's what it's all all about (laughs) at the end of the
1: day. If there's any lesson we've learned today through the making of these Mad Max movies, it's that you do literally anything and everything. You put your neck out on the line, whether it's working illegally or dangerously to get the best shot possible.
0: Is there um, a sequel to Fury Road coming out?
1: Um, There is two sequels in development, but before we get to that, we have to come back to our reoccurring segment. Dave, it's Guess That Australian Slang! So there was no no. actual Australian slang spoken in this movie, but chrome or chroming is an Australian slang term that you think means...
0: Uh, spraying chrome spray paint on stuff?
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. Come on, you dag. You can get this.
0: Chroming? I I don't know.
1: So chroming is Australian slang for inhalant abuse, and it Um, Oh, okay. Note for the fact that those the war boys, as they're spraying themselves in the mouth with the with whatever it was, it's not just a ritualistic like spray paint thing that they're doing, but they're actually getting like a high off of it. It's actually a drug that they are taking to um like it like almost like an upper, like an amphetamine that gets them to carry out whatever suicide mission that they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, they're huffing paint, you know, like you do. Like (laughs) like like you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a ripper of a time right <laughs> um so moving on from uh, mad max Fury road i think we can both say this is our favorite mad max film of all of them oh
0: yeah by far i mean not only is it my favorite mad max movie i mean it's probably my favorite action movie of all time
1: yeah it, it's this is it's definitely it's ridiculously I'd say good that i would say this is like on my list for some some of the greatest movies that i've ever seen ever of all time um the, yeah, the way great. that it's shot the like just like george miller aimed to do the fact that you could watch this movie without any sound on and know exactly what's going on, the color palette that he used to set this apart from other post-apocalyptic movies, where it's all drier and kind of washed out looking, and instead this is all brights orange, bright oranges and blues. Um, it's just it looks beautiful. The the stunts are mind blowing. Everything about it kind of blew me away. Uh, this is a absolute fantastic movie. And like I said before, it was like each one of these Mad Max movies. W- uh, barring out uh, Beyond Thunderdome is kind of building off the last one to really distill down what is like the perfect version of this movie and I feel like uh, Fury Road um, compared to Mad Max and um, The Road Warrior really finds what the perfect version of this is.
0: Yeah, the, it was fantastic. I honestly think this is the best movie we've watched f- it for the podcast so far.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. What about what about uh, The Invisible Man? You yeah, didn't Man. Rains dirty like that?
0: It was good, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't Fury Road. It was good. It was really good. Right. Fury, Invisible right. Man. won The original Invisible Man. Second best. Second best. Movie. All
1: right. So, <laughs> um, the Mad Max uh, franchise from here. So they're kind of they. Uh, George Miller planned for two prequels after this. I think that's the wrong way to go. But he's planning for two prequels after this. One about Max and one about Furiosa. Um, huh. They've hit a snag. Because uh, because this movie went so over budget and um, over time in production schedule, uh, WB um, and uh, George Miller's production company are caught in a lawsuit right now where Miller's company are suing them because they didn't receive a $9 million bo- bonus that the production company, um, Warner Brothers, promised to them. Um, they were promised this $9 million bonus if they could come in under budget of uh, under $157 million. And Miller oh my says God. that um, the only reason they went over budget is because the studio insisted on expensive reshoots with Miller didn't feel was were necessary, but the studio insisted, and that's what brought the budget up to hundred and eighty five million, according to Miller. Wow. So Man, um,
0: you talk about an increase in budget. So we got three hundred thousand, two million, <laughs> ten million, million,
1: hundred and eighty five million. Yep. So uh so he george miller and his studio hold warner brothers solely responsible for these additional costs and they feel they are still owed the nine million bonus that they would have gotten otherwise um warner brothers says that their contract with george miller and his production studio was for a 100 minute pg-13 film where and miller turned in a 120 minute r-rated film and that he (laughs) didn't stick to their contract and um and it exceeded its budget um because of these unapproved costs and delays on Miller's side. So they're, they're kind of locked in this legal negotiation and that's, what's keeping us from getting any sequels or prequels to this film. Um, right now, what has been announced is Mad Max, the wasteland and uh, Mad Max Furiosa. Um, okay. Mad Max, the Wasteland would not have Charlize Theron or Furiosa in it and is written to be a prequel to Fury Road. Um, and that's kind of all we know about it. It's just Max is unexplored backstory of how he became Mad Max. I don't, i don't think that's a good way to go i don't care you can like like we said before these movies are best when max is just kind of this folklore character who's just coming in and out of stories i don't need his backstory i get his backstory i saw mad max yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah 100 percent. it's something like that like i don't need to know exactly where he just throw him into another situation so i hope they by the time this ends up coming out which is not going to be for a while now i hope they rethink that um Mad Max Furiosa was originally supposed to have a returning Charlize to their own, but so much time has um, apparently passed that they are no longer looking for her to return as the character, since this is a prequel to Fury Road, um, and they have actually started holding auditions recently for um, the Furiosa character, at least, I don't know about any other characters, but right now they're looking at Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch and uh, Split and Emma to play okay. Furiosa for that movie. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, that's that's the future of Mad Max. Now everything has been put on hold because of coronavirus and they can't move forward because of that or the lawsuit. So <laughs> we uh, so Look, it we're it was 30 years
0: pattern. between 30 years between Thunderdome and Fury Road. So as long as George Miller, uh, you know, God protect his soul, stays alive, <laughs> yeah. I I, I could I could take a good directing. Right. I could take a good Mad Max: The Wastelands in 2030 and be okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah, so that's that's the state of the Mad Max franchise. Um, virus and uh, lawsuits, allowing hopefully we'll get a sequel. But I don't. I, I'll be there for it. I'm not. I don't know if I'm that interested in in prequels to Fury Road. I really want to see where those characters go, for, like from there. I don't know. Yeah,
0: especially because they set up Furiosa as sort of like the ruler of the Citadel area, right? Right. And uh, man, we've talked about this before in terms of Marvel movies and. Um, uh, you know, superhero movies in general. But I am really tired of origin stories and exposition. Just like, we you know, look, we know who Spider-Man is. We don't need to see Uncle Ben die again. Like, just make Spider-Man his own, uh, another movie. You know, we don't need to right. see Mad Max's origin story again. Just, he's Mad Max. We get it. Everybody gets it. You know? Right. I don't Have wanna, him crash some cars. I don't
1: want the... Uh... I don't want the solo of the uh, the Mad Max series. I don't right. need to know oh where, where Mad Max got all of his guns and all of his jackets and his last 100%. name from. Like, I Man. get it. Like, it's fine. I, I just want to watch this character, who is a great character, uh, move on to, the, to his next adventure.
0: You just let him get into a big, crazy car and blow it up. That's what, we're, <laughs> that's that's what we want to see.
1: That's all we're here for. Just, just car, car explosions. You put Tom Hardy in a car, you blow it up, it's a movie.
0: <laughs> and that's about that for mad max um next week we're going to be covering murder on the orient express uh which is definitely one of my favorite recent remakes
1: we're only going to watch two movies this time
0: <laughs> that's what we think until we watch murder on the orient express thunderdome
1: <laughs> uh murder on the orient express was just put up on hulu so anyone can go and watch it before um, before our episode comes out And you can uh, listen along with us To feel, hear what we thought about the movie So we thought that that would be the appropriate thing to, uh, to put up while we're all stuck at home And can't go anywhere uh,
0: Everybody be safe uh, Wash your hands Don't do anything crazy uh, Hopefully this will be all over soon Goodbye everybody Bye <laughs>